Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I am your host, Mike Gregson, and um, really thrilled tonight to have the Browns with me here today. Charlie Brown is on the podcast tonight, folks. He is not just a cartoon character. He's a real, he's a real boy, <laughs> right? He's a real man. Uh, but I have Charlie and Stephanie Brown um, with me tonight, and they are up in town from Arizona, and uh, they have quite the story. Um, amazing story. Um, and these, these two, um, Charlie and Stephanie, Alicia and I became really good friends with down in Arizona when we were there for about the year and a half. We were, uh, we lived in the same neighborhood. We lived in the same ward, uh, which is the church that we went to. And, um, you know, sometimes in life you, you meet people that you can just tell there's a depth to them, um, that they look at people different, um, that everybody they come across they look at, um, with purpose and with, um, desire to understand. And, and that's, that is absolutely a thought that comes to mind when I think about you too. Um, when I met you guys and when Alicia, when Alicia and I met you guys, um, we just felt automatically like there, there was this peace about you guys, but there was this, um, very gentle feeling that we got from you that you, that you really cared about us and you cared about our family. Um, and, and yeah, a lot of people have that, but, but it was, it was different. It was special. And, um, you know, you guys, when you would engage us, you'd look at look us in the eyes and it just, we felt very loved by you guys and very welcomed by you guys. And we hit it off pretty quickly. And, and Charlie and I started running in the mornings and he had to listen to me talk like why I was breathing so hard. Right. Like, and I'm, you know, I don't stop talking. So it's like, Hey buddy, let's run. Let's not breathe. Let's not talk right now. Let's we breathe. Take turns talking so yeah. we can catch our breath. Right. With, with, with good old Lauren, who I think outpaced us almost every morning. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and, and obviously, um, Stephanie, you and Alicia hit it off really well and, and just, we became close and it was fun. And, and knowing you guys were coming up here, Savannah started saying my best friend's coming to town, like for the last <laughs> past like week or two. And, um, cute little Hannah is, is, is so good to Savannah. So, um, anyway, excited to have the Browns with me tonight. I've kind of babbled on long enough, but it's a, it's quite the story, um, they have to share, uh, from the experience in their lives, um, in, in losing their son, Dylan. And, uh, it's a powerful story and I'm excited that, um, they would be vulnerable and willing to come and open up and share because I know when people open their hearts, we can all learn something. Um, we can all grow in our, in our compassion towards somebody else and recognizing that we are not the only ones personally that go through struggles. Um, everybody has their battles and everybody needs to, to feel loved. And I think, I think hearing this, 
story tonight and what they experienced um, is going to open up a lot in, in all of our hearts and minds. And so I just encourage you to tune in, listen in, and and then when you get the opportunity after you hear this story, reach out to Charlie and, and Stephanie and tell them how awesome they are because it's true they are. They're pretty awesome. So anyway, I'm going to stop talking now. Now <laughs> I'm going to turn it over to you guys. So tell us about yourselves and, and let's let's get going. That's quite the intro. Uh, thanks, Mike. We're happy to be here. Um, and there's something to be said about that vulnerability. You know, you, you we hear things. Uh, I remember listening to... Brene Brown and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I hear things and I get really pumped up and I'm like, yeah, vulnerability. It's awesome. You know, it's great. And when Mike had started this podcast, I had this feeling that came over me and I, I said, I think one day Mike is going to ask us to be on his podcast. You and got I, it. <laughs> You're one of the first people that and, came to mind. And, uh, you know, uh, and I was like, yeah, vulnerability. <laughs> we could share the story and we can talk about because, because we don't, we don't often, uh, we, we don't, we're not on the a fireside, uh, circuit circuit. Yeah. yeah. We don't, we don't do this. Uh, and so as it got closer, you know, this vulnerability stuff really hit me and like, Oh wow. I, you know, we're, we're going to be putting ourselves out there and, uh, can I do this? And, um, so my hope is that, uh, that by doing this, that if, if there's at least, you know, one or a few people that, um, that we can help, um, we, we would, love for that to happen so awesome yeah awesome well tell us about you well we we've been married for 15 years um we have four children um we've got our oldest he's he's almost 13 and then dylan was our second boy and then um we have two girls that are at the end of the family um and yeah, we, we are both born and raised in Arizona. We still live there in Gilbert. Um, we've bounced around a few cities uh, for school and such, but we've kind of settled in Gilbert, and that's where we are now. And yeah. Gilbert's such a good place. <laughs> now, to, now, remind me, you're, you're a dentist. I am. Right? A pediatric dentist. Pediatric dentist. And where did you go to school? Uh, A.T. Still University. Okay. And so, and then we went down to Tucson for some training and... and I had gone to ASU before that, and when I was in Tucson, they, I wasn't allowed to talk about ASU. I yeah. said, that's the school of the north. We don't talk about that oh, school here. Oh, yeah, the rivalry started so, already, huh? Yeah. yeah. So we did our pediatric training there, and then uh, since 2016, we've been up in Gilbert, and, and that's home. It feels good. As much good, as you know, we have friends up here in Utah and, and some tempting us to, to come on up this way. We are searching <laughs> for a home currently. <laughs> Yeah. So, so Stephanie, when he was going to school, um, were you, were you the breadwinner of the family? Were you, I wasn't, were you busy raising we, kids? I was busy, busy raising kids. Um, we were fortunate enough that, um, we got married so young. We were so frugal because of necessity yeah. that when dental school came around, um, we figured we're young. We want to start our family. We don't want to wait to do that until school's over. Um, we can be frugal and we can manage to live off student loans and we'll just only take out the max amount that we need and we'll, we'll be good. So yeah, I, I've been lucky enough to stay home with all of my kids and, um, yeah. And she's been amazing. I mean, she, we, we had four kids in five years and, Ooh. uh, three of those, <laughs> three of those were, three of those kids were born in dental school. And I remember going to an orientation and, and, 
uh, Stephanie was pregnant with Dylan and was maybe seven months along or so close to being done. And we, we broke out into small groups and they said, you know, dental school is pretty intense and it's not a good time for major life decisions like getting married or having children. And Steph's got her hands on her belly there and like, well, a little, a little too late, but, um, yeah, we're going to so, have three. Yeah. We we'll, three. We'll show you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you think one's tough? Let me show you what we can do. Right. Yeah. So yeah. she's, she's a trooper. She is definitely a hard worker and, and very loving for our family. Isn't it fun to get, to figure out like with ramen noodles, how creative you can get to. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Like you can add frozen peas, frozen <laughs> carrots, put some spices in now. Oh. That was a good portion. Yeah. The first more than half of our marriage. Yeah. So. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Every once in a while when Alicia and I are feeling like it's been a long day, we're like, you know what? We're just doing ramen noodles tonight. And yeah. It feels good. <laughs> And luckily our kids like it, so it's all good. But um, man, awesome. So, okay. So you guys kind of kind of take me through, um, you know, obviously Dylan's born. Now, is he the second oldest? So he's the second. So we've got Charlie. He was our first. Yeah. Um, he was three. Was Charlie three? Just no, he was. Yeah, he was three when okay. Dylan was born. Okay. Um, Dylan was born in September, and then a few months later, I found out I was pregnant with Hannah. Yeah, yeah. So Surprise. Dylan and Hannah are actually less than a year apart. No they're, kidding. They're 11 months. I like to tell people 12 months, because 11's just like, holy cow, what were you guys doing? <laughs> um, you blame it on like, your husband. It's all his so, fault. <laughs> 10 and a half. Yes. Uh, they're they're extremely close. I, I basically had Dylan, and it wasn't very long after that that I was pregnant with Hannah. Yeah. Um, so had Hannah, um, and then we had about a year before, um, after Hannah was born, before Dylan died, he died about a week after Hannah's birthday, first birthday. Our youngest Kate didn't come along until after Dylan had passed away. So we're at a point where we are busy with school. Um, we've got very small children, um, two that are still in diapers and bottles Youngsters. and yeah really young so that's that's where we were um and it was 2012 and um it was i'm pretty sure it was one exactly one week after hannah had her first birthday we were my parents were um out of town and they had asked us to come in and check on their animals and we liked kind of hanging out at their house because it was cooler than ours and we had a small house and it was kind of nice to be able to go somewhere else so they were out of town and we decided it was a sunday morning things had been just really crazy for us with school and we never saw each other we never got time i was feeling kind of overwhelmed with having three small children at home and i told cj i was like i don't want to go to church today I'm tired. I never see you. I just want to go over to my parents' house. Let's feed their animals. Let the kids play in the playroom. And can we just have a day where we're together? And um, so CJ, in was, his defense, I was dressed and ready to go. He didn't know what, he was ready to go, but I ready think to go to church. He was ready, ready to, to go, go to church. church. So here I am, not wanting hey, to go to church. You know what? <laughs> my gosh, knowing what moms go through and three little ones. I mean, come on, everyone deserves a break from church every now and then. God knows. I had, I had kind of a frustrating morning. Um, Dylan had gotten a spontaneous nosebleed and he had decided to wipe his nose all over this ottoman that I had just spent a bunch of time reupholstering. And I look back on it now and obviously I feel terrible for getting so mad about that because who cares about a dumb ottoman? But 
I was just having a frustrating morning. So CJ's like, okay, yeah, let's go over to your parents' house and feed the animals and let the kids play and just relax and just relax. And it was, um, in the summers in July. So that's monsoon season in Arizona. Now remind me where your parents lived. They lived in Queen Creek. Okay. Which is nearby Gilbert. Yeah. And at that time we were living, um, uh, we were living out there. We were only a few minutes from them. So, um, we went over there, the kids played for a little bit. There had been a huge amount of rain and where they live, there's a pretty big mountain. So the rain had kind of come off the mountain and it was starting to make its way through the washes. Um, and they had a wash that went right back behind their property and they had it all gated off. Um, but there was a little part of the gate you could get through and you could go check out the wash and it's cool to look at when it's not raining, but in the monsoon with lots of rain in our desert soil, we just don't soak up the water very Scary. well. It just washes right down the mountain and it, it, it becomes basically a raging river. Yeah. So we were at the, the point where the boys, um, our oldest Charlie and Dylan wanted to go outside and play in the puddles. The rain had finished. Um, and there were big puddles in the backyard. So CJ went out with the boys, played in the puddles. We we had caught a frog, and we were trying to catch some lizards and, and stuff like that. And um, just having fun. Just being there. boys. Just being yeah. boys. I stayed in with Hannah, who was only one at that time. And we were cleaning up the playroom and kind of getting ready to leave to go back home. And... Um, Somehow, in the midst of the craziness of the boys playing in the backyard, Dylan managed to get the gate open. Um, or if it was left open, it just, you know, in the haste of things, he was able to slip through the gate. Um, and being, um, you know, almost two, he's curious, doesn't know how to swim, jumped into the wash. Um, and with how fast the wash was going, uh, it just swept him away. Um, I was inside and didn't realize what was going on. Um, and I went to go get CJ and I couldn't find him. Um, I, well, I think he had actually run in I... and threw Charlie inside and said, I need to go get Dylan. And, and like, just in the craziness, I didn't fully understand what was going on. Yeah, you were trying to hustle. So I, I grabbed Charlie and brought him in and then, um, I ran outside to go find CJ, but he's just so far down the wash trying to look for Dylan that I end up getting in my car and going down the street to where it opens up to the wash. And I get to the end of the street and it's starting to hit me like something like something's wrong. We can't find Dylan. Um, The neighbor, my parents neighbor had called 911. Um, when they saw this frantic man running down the wash. Um, and so, uh, it took a while for us to find him. Um, when the neighborhood started realizing what was going on, um, and the ambulance had gotten there and the fire department had gotten there. Um, one of my parents' neighbors, um, had started to help to look for Dylan and actually spotted him. He had gotten caught in a bush. And he had grabbed him and brought him to the ambulance. And uh, he wasn't conscious at that time. Um, and because of the severe weather, uh, they weren't able to air back him. Um, and in that part of where my parents lived, not all the roads were paved. So when you got heavy rain, it was it was difficult to get in and out. Even and, driving. Yeah. And so um, the paramedics had worked on him for a little bit and realized like we're not getting anywhere we need to get him to the hospital as fast as we can and so they 
took off with him in the ambulance. And luckily we had a uh, friend of my brother's had um, found out what was going on. And he was a police officer at that time. And he came and picked us up and drove us to the hospital. And um, great neighbors took my other two kiddos for me um, until, you know, we could start letting family know what was going on. And we went to the hospital and ultimately they did everything that they could, um, but he didn't survive. So he ended up drowning and yeah, it was kind of a surreal night. I don't remember a lot of it. It feels very like hazy and kind of crazy, but yeah. So that was uh, just in a, a split moment. Everything went from kids playing in the backyard, having fun in the puddles to Dylan ultimately losing his life. So, man. Um, yeah, when I, um, was out there with the boys, I was on the outside of the gate by the wash and the boys were on the inside and, uh, I had uh, turned over to try and catch a lizard and, uh, turned around and, and they had gotten through the gate and Charlie was just standing there and I couldn't see, uh, I couldn't see Dylan anywhere. I panicked threw Charlie inside and I yelled, is, is Dylan in here? And immediately ran back out to the wash. <clears throat> and, um, I don't know how far down the wash I got probably, uh, probably more than half a mile, um, just searching um, for any sign of him and yelling to the neighbors to see if they had seen him and thinking, you know, how did this happen? Is, is, is this a punishment? Is this because of something I've done? And, uh, I remember walking through and, and hitting a deep spot where it was uh, up to my chest. The water was up to my chest. And um, I remember thinking, I don't know if I want to. <laughs> I don't want to. I didn't, I didn't want it to go on. Uh, I, I was thinking maybe I could stay under the water right here and end all of, all of this chaos. Um, and so um, I started making my way back up through the wash. You know, it's still full of water and, and running. Um, and I got just a few, a few lots down from where, um, where, where their house was. And someone was driving on a, a Pan Am or something, and, and they were maybe, you know, 50 yards in front of me. And, and that was when they had found him. And we ran up there, but yeah, we, the fire department had tried to do CPR on site and I got to, uh, ride in the ambulance, um, with them. A lot of times on Sunday we would do, you know, family get together. And so a bunch of my aunts and uncles and my cousins, uh, were at my grandma's house that night and had heard about it and had all come to the hospital with us. And I don't even know how long they worked uh, trying to revive him. Um, 
probably probably 30 minutes or more that part was is really hard to I think remember because you're just standing there but you can't stand too close and you're just like you don't really know what they're doing just that they're doing everything they can and yeah I'm not sure how long they worked on them it feels like I feel like to me it, it happened so fast that I was just like what's going on wait what now we're going to the hospital like it was yeah it felt very fast as I'm sure it wasn't though in real time, but that's what how it felt you, like. How do you process that? I don't think you do for a while. I think it, um, shock, like I'd never really experienced shock before then. Um, and so you're just kind of like thankful for all the people around you that are just kind of doing things and helping and moving things along. Cause you're just standing there. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to go home. Like, like, I have to give him to you and I have to go home and he doesn't get to come home with me. And then, and then you're like, Oh, but I have my other two kids. And like, it's just shock for a long time. I I feel like it was shock for, for a good few days. You just didn't understand quite what was going on and why you couldn't just go get them and bring them home. Man. Uh, When, um, after they had called it um, and and ceased efforts to revive him. Um, I'm trying to remember, I know with Charlie, we had, there's a, a song from church, uh, I'm a child of God, that we were trying to get him to sing before and earlier. And with all the family around, um, Charlie spontaneously just started singing. I'm a child of God. Hmm. It was a special moment for us, and it, it is weird to when, um, you know, we got to spend some time just alone uh, with Dylan after that. Um, but you're right; it's a, it's a, a definitely a weird uh, feeling to know when, when it, it was time to leave. You know, we didn't want to leave. We can't. Yeah. Uh, what do you? What do you do? And and knowing he's our our baby's not going home with us, that that they need to keep him there, and and trying to sleep all that night, just hoping that that uh, you can fall asleep and that you can wake up from this nightmare, like yeah, man, guys, I'm I'm so sorry, um, man, I, like I I'm I'm trying to like trying in some way which it's impossible to do but i'm trying in some way to like think the feelings that must have been just going off inside of you in those moments you know like like charlie turning around and seeing him not there did you see did you see him being swept down at all no so you just knew that that's what happened i yeah i i mean you hope not because you saw him i'm thinking okay they were in the backyard he's still in the backyard and i i just don't see him where's he at and i asked charlie and Charlie's still young and he didn't, uh, he, you know, wasn't able to just answer me. Yeah. He's, he's there. He's here. It, it was, and everything was just a panic from there. Yeah. I was going to say, did it start like as a panic, like right off the bat? Uh, right? in, instantly. Yeah. And so I, I grabbed him, ran and looked, I mean, immediately looked to the water and I'm not seeing anything at all. And I'm scanning up and down and then grabbing Charlie, throwing him inside. Is Dylan in here that, you know, did he, did he walk back instead of out? towards uh towards the water and 
but yeah, in, instantly I don't see my son. Where is my son? And, you know, thinking the worst. Man. Um, Stephanie, you, so you hear, you obviously you hear, you know, Charlie come in and, and yell, Hey, is Dylan in here? And then he's immediately back out running. I mean, how did you, yeah. did you feel right off the bat? Like, how well, old? yeah. Cause it's not usual behavior. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, Oh, something's wrong. But I don't think my initial reaction was he was actually in the wash sure. and that he had gotten swept away. Um, and then, so I was just kind of like, you know, what's going on. And I, you know, ran outside through the gate and just, you know, saw CJ running through the wash. And then I thought, oh my gosh, something like something happened, something's going on. And, but I'm conflicted because I have these two small children in the house that I can't leave them alone. Mm. And so that's when I threw them in the car and put them in their car seats. And I knew they're not getting out of their car seats. They're not going anywhere. And that's when I drove down to try to catch up to where CJ had um, run down. And that's when I ran into the neighbor. And then that's when everything was like, okay, like 911 has been called. We can't find Dylan. We are pretty positive that he's in the wash and that, um, but we, you can't see in the murky water and we haven't found him and he's little and it's like, he can't swim. Even a, a good swimmer can't stand, withstand those, um, rapids in the wash. And yeah. So I think for me, the, like, the realness of the panic came when that neighbor said she had called 911 and I started realizing like, Oh my gosh, okay, something is going on and this is really bad. And so mm. now, no, just take me to the wash for a second. So I I've seen washes in Arizona, but to, like how deep was the, the wash? Cause you, were you in it running through it? Yeah, I was running, yeah. running through it. Mo most of it was, you know, probably halfway up my thigh and I, I mean, I was running through it barefoot on yeah. the river rock, and it dips down in some areas. So it gets deeper. Gets at a little points. bit higher, but ultimately, but for a year and a half, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't like no matter what, it's just. Mm. Yeah, it's not even even an adult would get swept away because when all of that water starts coming down the mountain, it's coming down fast. fast. And I mean, that's why the washes are there is yeah. to guide the water yeah. away from people's houses. So it's coming down there pretty fast and, and those, strong. those monsoons in Arizona, holy cow. I mean, you look across the valley and you just see this wall of black rain going across the valley. And when you're in one, like you literally, it dumps so much rain on you. You can't see for a minute, right? Yeah. And it, and it usually dumps a lot of rain really fast. Real fast. And that's why um, flash floods are a big problem in yeah. Arizona. You may think that you're walking on dry land, but it can be literally a minute before a big wall of water comes if it's been raining. So, yeah. So how do you, how do you go through something like that and move forward? I think for us, we had the foundation of the gospel already in our lives. We were already practicing it. We were already, um, doing all those simple things like attending church and reading our scriptures and praying as a family. And, and we both already had very strong testimonies of the gospel. And so I think all of the things that we had experienced into in our lives up to that point that had grown our testimonies kind of kicked in like, Hey, remember, like there's a plan and heavenly father has a plan for your family and for everyone. And it's not the end. And you just got to remember 
that this isn't the end of your family's story. Um, it's a bump in the road uh, that we got to get through. And I, I know at least for me, it was my testimony that there's more to this life than just living the life and dying and being done, that there was more to it. And so I knew that I was going to get to see Dylan again. I don't know when that's going to be, um, but it's not the end. I, I mean, that's, that's for me, what kept me waking up each day and moving forward. Does yeah. it, does it get to a point though, Stephanie, where you go, man, like is what I believe true, right? Like where you're yeah. really, you, you kind of run into that brick wall and you go, here's the test of faith, right? Yeah. Yeah. That I think, um, yeah, it definitely happened. I, you have to, it's a choice every day to get up and keep believing it and keep moving forward and keep believing that the way that you were living your life before is what's going to get you through the rest of your life. Um, I don't know about you. If Real quick, I, I, I think you said something very interesting there that made me think of something you said earlier, Charlie, because as soon as you, as soon as it clicked in your mind that something happened to Dylan, you started thinking thoughts immediately of, did I do something wrong? And I think, Stephanie, sometimes when we get in those periods of just chaos, darkness, um, hopelessness, helplessness, um, we want to feel like maybe it's something that we've done wrong in our lives that have kind of yeah. gotten us to this point, almost like it's a punishment, like you said, Charlie. And I think that is very special um, of you to recognize that all of those things that you were doing in your life brought happiness, peace, hope, and joy and you needed to you need to stay connected to all of those things moving forward as well. I think that's that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think I've had enough bad examples in my life. I think I've watched enough people struggle. Um, I've heard enough stories um, and witnessed for myself people who didn't hang on to what they knew was truly making them happy um, and leading them in a good direction, and they let go of it. And as a result, they lost much more. And I, I had a choice. I could either just kind of engulf myself in, in grief um, all the time. It's okay to feel the grief and to let it come and to work through it, but to, to engulf yourself in it. I thought, I already lost Dylan. I don't want to lose my marriage. I don't want to lose my ability to be a good mom to my other children who don't deserve to not, I mean, they lost their brother and that's impacted the way they grow up. Um, and I had a choice. I could either just let it consume me and I would end up losing more. But if I, if I didn't let the grief consume me and I chose to deal with it in in a healthy way that I would, I would still manage to hang on to what I had left. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And, and, I know what kind of mother you are and you have amazing kids and those kids are so lucky to have a mom that's that, that strong and that faithful and gosh, it, it, during such a hard time. And, uh, so anyway, I'll, I'll come back to that cause there's more I want to say to that, but Charlie, yeah, let, talk to me about where you were at. So there's, there's a lot, there's so many dark paths, uh, that, that your mind will take you down and, and it, I want to say it will happen unless you're, proactive to, to push that off. Um, one of the amazing things, um, so, so this happened in July 
2012. Um, every April and October, uh, our church has a conference. And that October, so just, you know, two months later, um, Elder Shane Bowen gave a talk. And he felt inspired to share the loss of, of his son in his talk. And he talked about the dark roads uh, that, that he'll go down. And um, at, all, at all costs, we need to avoid them, that there is no productivity in them. Because as I started to go down those paths, or what, what if, you know, uh, what if I just said, no, we're going to church? Like, would this have not happened? What if I had done this? Or, you know, what if, uh, you know, I had done better in my life? Would I not be punished like this? You know, there, there's all these roads. And you have to take things one day at a time and stay positive. I remember feeling sorry for myself one time after that. I don't even remember how long ago this was after. But uh, I, I was feeling really sorry for myself. Um, I have no clue what this was over. But I just felt like, like Steph was being mean to me. And I felt sorry for myself. And I, I went into the kitchen to grab something. And I just sat on the kitchen floor, leaned up against the washing machine. And I sat there and I just cried. And I'm like, it, you know, what, what is this path that we're on? Is, are, is, this, are, is this all going to be done? Is this going to be over? We're not. Uh, what, you know, what is my life going to have in store for me? Um just just but but you can't let that darkness overpower you you have the dark days you have the sad days um but you need to remember the joy and the promises and there's there's lots of promises that we have in in the scriptures and and through our hope and through our faith and um that's that's where the focus uh, needs to to stay tell me tell me for you um again trying to put myself in your shoes in those moments i mean you're in the backyard you're playing with your boys Obviously, one of the thoughts you're going to have is, I should have been paying attention. I should have been watching him the entire time, right? What if? Shame, right? Like, how do you how do you overcome that heavy of a a trial of shame? I mean, I um I've I've experienced shame to a heavy, heavy degree, um, and and it almost ended, it almost caused me ending my life, um those were my choices, right? I, I made awful decisions. You didn't do anything wrong. Um, it was a complete accident, but I can imagine how you felt with that and the battle of that and face that challenge. And, and what, how, tell me, kind of walk me through that, if you will, like what, if you, if you go back to those moments when that shame would come at you and you would feel valueless, like, like you were a big screw up, if you will which I'm assuming you probably felt Charlie. Am I, am I pretty close? Yeah, no, absolutely. How did you, like, what would you do? How would you, how would you f approach that and face that? So one of the things that I, that I really had to hold strong to in all of this was that I knew that Dylan was an innocent child and that he was alive in Christ and I believe that he is living with God and with Christ. And logically, as I think about it, in his lifetime, there's, there's not anything that he would have done differently than other kids that were, you know, a year and a half, two years old. Um, but those kids 
grow up and get older and, and have their lives. Dylan is, is with God. I believe he's in the celestial kingdom. And if I can't think of anything he would have done here on earth to have that, to have this reward, um, I have to believe that there was something that he probably did before this life, uh, you know, in what we call the pre-mortal existence. And it almost feels um, selfish in a way to to desire for him to still be here, you know. And at the same time, you know, I feel like I'd give anything to have him still here with us. Yeah. But to, to know that that's where he is and who am I to take that from him, um, that, that he's earned this. And, and so for me, some of that, um, helps to rather than have blame and shame go through to, to have rejoicing. Um, and, and there's real, I mean, there's real sorrow in the loss. Um, Always. There is. And uh, there's a quote from um, from Russell Nelson, uh, who I believe is a prophet. Um, he, he talks about we're supposed to have sorrow and loss. And if there was not sorrow in the loss, then there, there was not love. Yeah. We can't fully appreciate, you know, a joyful reunion later on in our lives uh, without the tearful separation now. Um, that the only way to take the sorrow out of death is to take the love out of life. And I don't think that that's something that we want to do is take the love out of life. Yeah, no, um, man, guys, I, I think I, this, it's, it's so interesting because as an outsider looking in, knowing you two, I want to, I want to sit here in this space and I want to explore those emotions and those feelings. But honestly, like, that's, that's hard to do. Right. I mean, the love that I know you guys have for your son and, and just the, the desire to want him back, even if you could have him for a day. Um, that's, that's huge, but also, also to trust the truth of knowing that where he is and, um, who he's with, um, that's beautiful. And, and he's there, you know, and, and the fact that, the fact that uh, God's plan is perfect. And, and sometimes you stop and you go, well, wait a second. How's this perfect? But it is. And we trust. And we don't know everything. We never will. But um, to know that there's family that has passed on before us and, and sometimes long before us uh, that is also still connected to us very much in this life, helping helping us along the way. God wants his children back. He, uh, he didn't send us down here to lose ourselves and... and uh, he didn't send us down here because he doesn't want us. He sent us down here to go through things and so we could learn and grow and, and, and trust. And unfortunately, sometimes that causes us to go through some really hard things. And, um, I just want you to know how sorry I am. I love you guys. And I, like, I, there's been times like when we were in Arizona, I remember, I think we went on a double date one night and we, and we were talking, this is really when I first started to learn uh, about your son, Dylan. And I, I think I asked a question and Charlie, I remember, I remember seeing both you and Stephanie, you answered it, but it took you guys a second. I remember seeing both of you kind of get that, that like emotional, that rush of emotion, right? Because the love for your son is so powerful and so real. And, um, 
anyway, we'll we'll come we'll come back here in a minute. But but this is not the end of the story, and and this is the end of the story to this extent. But it changes, it kind of switches gears, right? So all of a sudden, you're now facing this tremendous battle of grieving and trying to figure out your family. What I think is amazing too is you guys really tried to focus on your marriage. A lot of times when these things happen in marriages, it, it can rip people apart, right? So maybe before we go into some of the things that happened afterwards uh, with CPS, Child Protective Services, um, can you maybe give us a couple like tips on what you guys did to really make sure that you you protected your marriage and your love for each other? Yeah, I think um, I was really concerned um, that um, we would just be so consumed in our, in our own hurt and grief that we would just kind of push each other out. Um, and so very early on for me, I, I don't know if this happened with CJ. This is what I tried to actively do. Um, so as, as the weeks and months progress and you're starting to have to like go back to, to your life without your son and move forward, um, some days you're just not going to have a good day. No matter how hard you try, you're just going to have a really hard time. Um, and you need to be able to have those days every once in a while where you just aren't as productive and you kind of just let the feelings come and you work through them. Cause if you're constantly just trying to push them out, they just get worse and worse and it builds up and it ends up exploding. And that's okay for us to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the struggle is that as a couple, you don't always grieve in the same way at the same time on the same day. So if I'm having a terrible day where I can't get more than 10 seconds when I'm not thinking about what happened, mm -hmm. um, if, if he walks through the door and he had something good happen to him and he had, he had a good day, um, and he managed to keep moving forward without thinking about what happened. Um, I can't take that away from him. And I didn't want to burden him that I was having a bad day and say, well, well, I'm having a really hard day and you're not allowed to have a good day. And I need you, I need to bring you down to my level right now. And so I think this is where like friends, family, um, people that you trust to talk to, um, cause sometimes I didn't want to have to bring him down and I wanted to just open up and vent to someone about just how much it sucks and mm. how hard it was and that I'm so unhappy with what happened and I don't understand what, why it happened. And so for me, it was this balance of try to get a sense of what kind of day he's having because you need to have those good days um, to know that it's okay. You can have those good days so you can have more good days. So that's what I tried to do. I tried not to bring him down to my level when when I was really having a hard time. Super wise. I mean, that I, I, love, I love that because... That, that's not an easy thing to do on a regular day for your spouse. Yeah. Cause sometimes in the feelings that you're in, in the moment, you want to be there. And like, kind of like that moment where you were crying on the floor in the kitchen. I, mean, like, there times... I, I didn't know that happened yeah. for the longest time. I had no idea well, that what, I, that what I think is so interesting though, is that on a daily basis in a marriage, that, that is something that is very real. Right. But when you're facing a trial like this, it is like, I can't imagine how, how, how much grander that is. And for you to recognize that and to, to make sure that you allowed the wins to come, right? Like the good days to come and to recognize those good days, even though if it wasn't yours, you didn't get bitter and angry because that would have been hard. Yeah. The bitter and bitterness and angriness would just cause resentment that 
he got to have a good day and yeah. I didn't. Yeah. And, and, and she did, she deserves a lot of credit for that. Cause I, I mean, she was, she's conscious of this and I, you know, I, I think I was probably oblivious to it that she, you know, uh, sometimes I needed to pay better attention to when she was having a hard day and, and be able to read her. But one of the things that really helped us through, um, I mean, you have, you have these moments because, because when this happened, I mean, the, the joy of life is just sucked mm. out of you. You, you know, I remember thinking, how can I, how can I ever like, I, I like music and I enjoy, you know, the, the, the good spirit that it brings to me, the, you know, listening to a song and singing along. How could I ever listen to a song again and be happy? or sing along or have joy. It, it's, there's this vacuum mm. where all those other emotions are, are sucked out. And I guess this is where I was going with that, that friends and family and, and prayer. I, I can't tell you how often I felt that people were praying for me and for my family. Hmm. I, I think felt that from, from, I felt that too, family. especially the first night I thought I would never ever sleep again. And for some reason, like you could literally feel the weight of people praying for no your kidding. family wow. and you're like, okay, I know so many people are there for me if I need them. Um, wow. Like yeah. for now I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I'd never, I had never experienced that. I'm sure. And points in my life and in our marriage, people had, prayed for us or it, thought about us uh, and it was tangible but it like you could literally feel it That's like amazing. it was like yeah like it was a tangible thing that and, people were praying that you would make it through and our, That's our amazing. ward family was amazing i mean our bishop i remember him coming with his family to visit with us and sitting on our couch and just loving us ministering to us you know checking on how we're doing and then as we walk him out to the door um <laughs> probably, probably half of our ward was out there in the front yard oh, and, and just started singing to us at the door. Um, yeah, there, so... were, there were a lot of people who behind the scenes just did things that we didn't know about because, you know, when it's hard to know how to serve people when they're going through a hard time. And I feel like there were so many people who just did. They didn't ask. They just did and said, oh, I'll ask for forgiveness later if if they weren't happy that we went to Costco and bought them a bunch of paper plates so that they wouldn't have to wash dishes um, or be burdened with having to yeah. clean up dinner and um, just like little things like that that I, I don't even, I'm sure I don't even know all the things that people did for us. Sure. But. Sure. I Real quick, I got to say something too. I want to go back to the prayers real quick. Um, it reminds me of an experience I had um, coming out of my coma uh, when I was in that bad accident. You guys know this. But the first, when I was laying in my bed, I had a couple thoughts come to my mind. And this is when my brain was not very good. And I had read my scriptures for a long time. There's there's two times in the Book of Mormon where there's a verse. And and I had never, I had never memorized this verse. I'd, I'd read it a few times, but it's not one that stands out to me, right? But as I'm laying there with brain injuries, um, barely alive, clear as day, I feel and hear this voice in my mind and in my heart. And it quotes the scripture, you are spared because of the prayers of the righteous. And now I, I just got to clarify the word righteous real quick here. It's just people who love God. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. You are spared by the prayers of the righteous. And I think, thank you for sharing that because 
and talking about it like as as how you could literally feel those prayers, right? Yeah, I'd always heard people talk about how they could feel people were praying for them and like, what? How do you feel? Like, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, lots of, we pray for lots of people and circumstances and I had never truly felt it until that night when I laid in bed and thought, I'm never going to be able to go to sleep again in my life. How do people go to sleep? Yeah. How do they? Yeah. And there it came. Yeah. And I I think that's an amazing testimony of, of how important if all you can do is pray, then pray, right? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm, yeah. You, you pray for other people, and and in your own life, you know, you seek to be a, an angel. You seek to be a ministering angel to somebody. Bring those paper plates, and yes. yeah, yeah, and you you look, you know, for those opportunities, and and you look for the the jewels in in life. I mean, as as I'm, so the week that we're recording this, we have come follow me that we. We go through, and this week we're in uh, Doctrine and Covenants section twenty-nine, and there's a scripture in there. Um, it, it's just this is just one of those little gems that that hits you. But um, little in in D and C twenty-nine forty-six and forty-seven it says, "But behold, I say unto you that little children are redeemed from the foundation of the world through mine only begotten. Wherefore they cannot sin." For power is not given unto Satan to tempt little children until they begin to become accountable for me. And I mean, just, just reading that, um, it's, it's like, wow, what, what are the odds that Mike would ask us and then we'd happen to come up here and it happened to be this week that we'd be talking about all this and, and recording it. And you know, you're going through, come follow me and, and little children are redeemed from the foundation of the world. And so you, you just, you look for those, those little diamonds, uh, that that are coming at you. God is pouring love down on all of his children and he loves all of us. And it's, you know, it's on us to, to find how he's showing his love to us. And you know, what's funny about that too, is I don't even know that we have to find him. He makes it very loud and clear. A lot of times his knocking is pretty loud. <laughs> I think sometimes we have to allow ourselves to be found by him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We have to choose to try and put our wills in line with his. He's always there. And he's always trying to beckon and reach out to us, but we have to, with our free, with our free, with our will and our free agency, we have to, we have to allow ourselves to be found. It's a choice, right? Because man, as you're sitting there saying all that stuff, I'm like, oh, God is so good. Like he, his timing, his, he knows us, he loves us. And he just, he's saying, I got you. Like I, I, Dylan's okay. He's my son. I love him. He's okay. It's okay. Right. You, so you can trust in that when I say it's my, it's my, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, okay. So let's, let's switch gears for just a second, if you will. Um, so trying to grieve, trying to process, trying to like figure out life. Holy cow. That is so difficult. You, you start moving forward. You're moving forward with school. Um, you're starting to really learn like the new home life, what that looks like. You're, you're also Kate comes along here shortly thereafter as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm pregnant with Kate shortly after. And then all of a sudden, Good old CPS. Anytime there's anything involved with the child, you know, like Preston broke his femur in Arizona. And as soon as they could coordinate dad, when he was there, the questions came and I was like, wait a second, what's happening? Um, so, so tell me about the experience that you had with CPS. Well, we, you know, uh, a few days after uh, there's, there's a lot of things you never want to be someone arranging a funeral, um, for anyone. But, uh, we were at the cemetery looking at plots and, uh, Stephanie got, a phone call. I don't. Do I dare say it was an angry phone call? It was 
phone call from from a CPS agent and she was upset that I wasn't at home she was knocking on my door and I was like oh I'm actually at the cemetery right now um we're picking out a plot I'm so sorry I didn't know you were coming I hadn't heard anything from anyone I I had heard from um the police said, you know, CPS are going to come and they're going to talk to you. But I hadn't. No scheduled appointment. No scheduled appointment. And so she was angry that I wasn't opening the door. Or, I mean, maybe she wasn't angry. I felt like it was a little You're hostile. putting her off. Yeah. Right. And I was kind of like, oh, how can you not understand why I'm not home? <laughs> but so I, re- I remember my mom telling me to calm down. We were sitting in the golf cart and they were taking us around to the different plots. And she's like, calm down. It's okay. It's okay. And I'm like, well, why in the world is she mad that I'm not home? And does she not know what I'm trying to do right now? And so that's kind of how we start this thing. It's a couple days after Dylan dies. And um, uh, so she she eventually comes to the house later and talks with us. So the, like their normal protocol, yeah. find out what happened. Um, she was, I, I mean, as I remember it, not even what happened, just, I mean, it, at first yeah. it seemed like, Hey, are, are you guys okay? Yeah. I mean, when yeah, this it, kind of thing happens, was, I mean, parents are grieving and yeah. you're, I mean, are the other kids okay? Do you know, maybe some counseling would be a good thing for you guys and a lot of that kind of thing. Yeah. She asked to look around the house, which I expected that. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, it was a pretty short meeting and I thought, Oh, you know, the police told us they were going to do this. I'm sure in any death of a child, they've got to just make sure that everything is okay and that they don't think anything else is going on. Um, and at the end of it, she kind of closed and said, you know, um, I'll kind of close this case. I just got to wait till the, the police report's finished. And then, you know, Interesting. That, that's the end. So, okay. so I just thought, oh, okay, well, you know, whenever the police finish their police report, well, however long that takes them, then everything's kind of closed up. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for coming by. We're doing great. We yeah. have lots of family and friends. And, and, the, and the police were communicating with us. And oh, yeah, there, they had already come to our house and talked to us. Everything about. was, hey, this is a tragic accident. And we're, we're sorry this happened. And, uh, you know, we, we wish you guys the best kind of thing. And so fast forward about? About six months. Yeah. I got the mail. I was going through it and I saw this letter. It was from CPS and they were opening up a case of neglect against us. And um, it, it was a letter just kind of stating, hey, we're going to put you, put me on on a registry um, for uh, a neglect. And so anytime that you're doing anything that has to do with the government or with children or in, in any capacity, um, you know, uh, your name will be flagged and it'll pop up and, and you're, there are probably going to be restrictions for you Jeez. doing anything with children. And, you know, I, I was still in dental school. I wasn't in, in pediatrics, but I, I think I was starting down that path at this point and I'm thinking, wow, this really has some potential to affect my, my life, my career, my, like, you know, this is, this will have an impact. Like what, what is going on? Where did this come from? Like, you know, just, but what in the world, you know? So, um, yeah, I had a little mini freak out oh. moment when I got that. Um, and I called my mom and I was like, mom, listen to this wording. What does this mean? Like, is this something that we can do something about? This doesn't sound good. Yeah. There's no hope. And you know, so we eventually hired, um, an attorney, um, to figure out what was going on and figure out what we could do to prevent this from happening. Um, and then we, that wasn't really going anywhere. And we were feeling like, um, 
this was going to happen and we couldn't do anything no about control. it. Yeah. We had no control Jeez. over it. We weren't even being asked kind of like what it's like, this is what's happening. Yeah. And then I started thinking, well, what the heck is in the police report <laughs> that they did this? And I went and I got a copy of it. I read through it and I just kind of couldn't figure out what was going on. And so then we were recommended a different attorney. So did you feel, did you feel like at the police report that there was something stated that was questionable? So, um, as we got through things, um, when we were starting to actually physically communicate with CPS and we were having calls with them, they had indicated that, um, a firefighter, one of the firefighters who was first on scene as, um, as a first responder, he, um, is obligated if he feels like he sees anything that he thinks is not right. Um, the word is ex escaping me of what they call them. Um, but he needs to report it or he's like a mandated reporter. Okay. I think that's what yeah. the phrase is. Okay. And so when I had first interacted with this firefighter, he had asked me a question, how long has it since you've seen Dylan? Cause at that point when I had talked to him, we hadn't found Dylan. And I, I think I misunderstood his question and, and the craziness of what was going on. I thought that he was asking me like, how long had this whole entire thing been going on? Like from the time you realized something was happening to right now. And my guess was, I think it's been like 45 minutes. I think what he was actually asking me was how long had it been since you, like, how long did you leave your son yeah. Before you realize, yeah, okay. like, like I had left him unattended yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and so, um, he felt that, wow, 45 minutes to leave your two year old is a really long time. Um, and so I think there was a miscommunication about what he asked me and how I answered it. And so he had, um, had contacted CPS and, and reported that. And so I think, um, after they had come to initially talk to us and then they heard from the firefighter, they thought we need to open something up and we need to figure out more of what's yeah, going just on. Kind of discovered, like, um, that's my best guess. I got you. Thanks for, thanks for sharing yeah. that. That's cause yeah, like you want to, you want to try and find out like, is there something that was written? Specific? Yeah. yeah that, that I think, I think an important lesson here is like anybody that is in a chaotic mess, like recognize that communication is not going to be a hundred percent clear. We need to slow yeah. down a little bit and, and, and yeah. Get and you kind of lose all senses yeah. when you're, when you go into chaos yeah. mode. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. you get, but at that point, at least you knew, right. You, so you hired some other lawyers or another lawyer. Yes. Someone who was a little bit more knowledgeable okay. in cases. He, um, he had dealt with CPS quite yeah, a bit more. Got it. Yeah. And so, and so, but we even, I mean, we had, gone and got some affidavits, uh, uh, you know, or character witness type of things from a bunch of people. And they kind of just said, yeah, we don't care about that. Um, <laughs> we're moving forward with this. And we even made, I remember going, this was not easy. We, we went back to the wash and made a video and, and showed them here, here's where we were. Walked into the whole thing. Here's yeah. the gate. Here's where I was standing. Here is exactly what happened and, and showed in a video in case it wasn't clear from a you know, transcription from the police interview or from, from, from what? And, um, I mean, eventually what happened is we were able to get on the phone with the attorney and with CPS and kind of explain how all of this happened. And I, I mean, I think, I think once we were able to just talk to them and, and communication was, you know, kind of reconnected, um, then it was, it became very apparent that, Oh, I mean, gosh, this was just tragic. a freak accident. Yeah. And, yeah, this is really tragic. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, after that, um, after that phone conversation with them, um, 
they we had heard from our the attorney um that hey this you know this this is um they're going to drop it it's you know they're not going to pursue this any longer which was a relief i mean which was great i mean we still we still waited for for that in writing you know a letter from them and which was kind of still stressful waiting for that but um i remember after all of it and after we got it in writing i i called and i i was sitting outside of the clinic at the dental school and i, I must have left a 20 or 30 minute voicemail uh with with uh, the cps employee over the case and and just um i, I mean i I didn't want to be hurtful or, or vengeful or spiteful or anything, but just, I felt this need to let them know, like, man, we, this, we were grieving and hurting so bad. I mean, this is, this is there's nothing worse that has happened to us in our lives. And, and when we're trying to go through this healing process, you know, we're, we're licking our wounds and we're trying to find our normal lives again, but, but different, but, you know, go back through life. Like we, we've got a, life is going to go on. Um, and how do we do that? We're trying to find this. And, and then this comes and just tears open the bandages and rips open our wounds. And, and just, I mean, it was hurtful and, and scary for us to, to go through. And, um, you know, we didn't know what the outcome would be. And so I, I had to just let her know. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's, you know, it's it another child of God and she's probably just trying to do her job. Um, but you know, not having good communication, it, it, it was just so hard and so hurtful to get through that and, and hard to heal with that bump that was in the road. Not just a bump. That's <laughs> That's a, that's a brick wall that comes and smacks you in the face and that you've got all set an approach now. Yeah, I think that was the point in which um, most of my my anger and um, like any sort of small amount of confidence I had in myself as a parent because you yeah. kind of lose a lot of confidence in yourself when you're, one of your children dies on your watch um, and something that you feel like, man, I could have prevented this from happening, I, I think I lost most of my self-confidence at that point in time. Um, I think for me, that's something I'll always be trying to gain back. Um, but it's, it's tragic and, and sad enough to, for Dylan to have lost his life. Um, it was crushing to me to be told that I wasn't a good parent and I was a bad person and that, you know, legal things were going to be happening because of that. And, and we didn't know how it was going to affect CJ's career. And for me, that was, that was a moment in which I feel like I've struggled the most. I've never truly had hatred in my heart for someone. And I felt so much hatred for the people who were working on this case. And I really needed to take a step back and figure out why this happened and understand at what point were they trying to do their jobs. Um, so that was, yeah, that was hard for me. It, I was thinking why he was, why Charlie was talking, Charlie, CJ, Charlie. <laughs> Interchangeable. Yeah. Right. Interchangeable. Um, 
I was thinking, man, it's it's almost like Scarlet Letter type of thing. Like all of a sudden, society is trying to label you as unfit. That is, there's there's shame that we feel internally when things happen because we we ask the what ifs, we ask the whys, we we try and take things accountability upon ourselves to say what could I have done differently. And that's those dark roads. Those are dark roads. But when when society starts to put shame on you that you you have no control over, like you are literally helpless. In fact, communication's almost cut off, right? They don't talk yeah. to you at that point. Yeah. That that's unfair shame. And that that's an anger. You're like that's like a ooh, that's I that's was hurtful. very angry yeah. and then um I made the the really stupid mistake of um of um when Dylan's death, um, it, it made the news that night. Um, and later in the week they had asked. That night meaning like, oh, yeah, after yeah. the accident. Yeah. Yeah. I, like shortly after the accident sure. happened and, and police are being dispatched. Um, and her brother was awesome and, yeah. and made, made a comment for okay. us. Yeah. And my everything. brother we, went we ahead. Were, the, the news had, had reached out to us and they wanted to ask us about we it. And, and we were like, I don't want to talk to yeah. the news. I could yeah. care less what everybody yeah. thinks. And my brother had graciously offered to go and, and talk to the news. Yeah. And, and so there was a short segment on a couple of the, the news stations. And I made the mistake of, of, long after, like after this CPS thing had started and, and I was starting to feel just really awful about myself as a parent. I went and I had read some of the comments that people had, oh, had posted about no. our story. And so this is where it ties into, to my ability to have a little bit more compassion for people. Mm. I, I read what people had to say about my family and I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't feel like I'm a terrible parent. Um, are there terrible parents out there? Yeah. And there's things that happen to kids that shouldn't and, and something should happen in that case. But there are legitimate accidents that happen. And um, we were kind of getting raked through the coals uh. about, oh, I would never, never do this. And I would never do that. And how would you ever let something like that happen to your child? And and it was people making comments on a, a situation that they didn't know. No idea. They didn't know everything that happened and they didn't know us personally. And that was like, I lost a lot of faith in humanity at that point in my life. And I think I got really bitter and I was like, I just don't care what other people think because I didn't feel like I was a terrible person. No. But then when everybody on the outside's looking in and telling you that you feel, you start to feel that yeah. and you think it's real and uh. you think all oh, these people can't be wrong. Um, but that experience helps me whenever I hear stories about tragic accidents that happen to children, I have a little bit more compassion. Um, and I try not to judge based on just what I'm able to read in a newspaper or um, online about it or what I hear about it on the news. It's always out of context. It usually is. Always. I mean, and, even, um, even from another perspective of another person that could have even been there themselves. Yeah. You don't know. Everything. Yeah. You don't know yeah. what's in the heart and mind of somebody else. And it, anyway, keep going. I, I, I want to come back to that for just a second, but keep going. Yeah. I just, um, I try to remember like, remember how that made you feel and, um, just don't be so quick to judge someone else's story, um, and, and make a, a judgment call about the type of person they are and, and what led to those choices. Um, because you don't know the full story. Yeah. Would you say, Stephanie, would you say that's like in hindsight, looking at the whole thing is that is learning compassion. 
is that probably the thing that you'd say you walk forward with with the most value gained from this whole experience? Yeah, I think for me, it's just learning that I, I, can't, I tell myself this all the time. Everybody has a story. You look at that person, she has a story. He has a story. Um, maybe, yes, outwardly, you can tell they're making a bad choice, but you don't know what led to that. And if everyone could just, when they meet someone for the first time, you just instantly know that person's story, I think we would all be a lot kinder to each other. Um, and so I try to remember that every day. Everyone has a story. I love it. And, and I, and I've seen you living that way because I've felt from you compassion and I've felt, um, love and, and yeah, I'm going to come back to that. Charlie, what about you? CJ, CJ, let's go with CJ. (laughs) What about you? What, what would you say looking at this whole experience? the darkness, the challenge, the soul-stretching experiences you went through. What What's the gift you received? Um, and gift is, I think gift is a hard word to say in, in a story and, like this, but what what's that thing, what's that valuable thing you learned that will bless your life? Yeah, you know, this is the question you have on, on every interview that you do, and it's the one that I struggle with the most. I mean, like you say, how, how do you pull that word gift out of this? But... Um, I have the gift of, of hope, um, you know, knowing, knowing where he is at, knowing how much the savior loves children and how much we can love children. We, in our word, we, our primary is awesome. Our primary president, Mary is, uh, she's quoted as saying, if Jesus came here to church with us today, he'd go to the primary. That's, <laughs> that's right. Amen. That's, that's where he would be Amen with, with the children. But you know, hope is, is, um, probably that gift that it gives to me. We want to be with Dylan again. We want to be with God again. We cannot earn that. Um, but we can strive for it. Um, I think Brad Wilcox and in one or a few of his books says that, uh, we don't, we don't earn heaven. We learn heaven. Amen. And, and I love that. And so the gift that it gives me is hope to be able to learn heaven, to be with Dylan again, and also to be able to, to share with other people, which I haven't always been good about doing, about sharing the story. But um, if you have the opportunity to have an eternal family, and if there's anything holding you back from that, don't, don't wait uh, for a wake-up call you have an opportunity to be an eternal family unit. Don't wait until a child is, is gone for you to, to wake up and say, wow, I like, so, so if you're doing something that is stopping you from that, wake up and, and make things right. If, if you don't have an eternal family right now, wake up the, uh, you know, this is the wake up call find a way to get your family to the temple and to be sealed to them. Um, that's, that's the hope is to be with him again. And, and we can strive to do that and strive to, to learn heaven, to serve, minister, love others. And, um, and to live, it's important to live every day intentionally with, with that in mind. Um, 
uh, I, I'm going to butcher it, but I, I remember hearing a quote um, in the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talking about going through a struggle. Everybody's going to go through a struggle or a temptation in their life. Um, and the real struggle in the, the, is, is right now. It's in every day how you live your life. Because when you have that big challenge, how you're living every day of your life is going to be the way that you conquer that challenge in your life. So live every day intentionally and and know that you can make it. That's awesome. Um, it makes me it makes me think of something Viktor Frankl said, and I've mentioned this in a past podcast too. But um, Viktor Frankl, of course, survived the Holocaust, um, and and he he talked about um, happiness is never really something. It's never a goal you can set. You have to be on you have to be on purpose. You have to you have to have a purpose, and you have to be on purpose. And when you do that, when you live on purpose, happiness is obtained. Right? That's how you do it. And I and I think you're exactly right. Um, well said too. It, don't wait right? Like God has given us all of the things and we have the choice to believe or not, but gosh, open your eyes and look up, look around you, look everywhere and you'll see God everywhere. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's the reality of it. And, and so connect, open that door, let him in, try it out. Even if you're just going to test it, right? Test it, try it out and then go. Cause man, to go through something like you guys went through and to, to be the people that you are today um, that faith in God and those prayers and, and living with hope has blessed your life incredibly. Um, because I see you serving, I see you reaching out to others. I see you welcoming people in and that is how you live in heaven. And I'd say you guys are doing a pretty damn good job. <laughs> We're trying, <laughs> you know, that, I mean, I've got to credit. So I, I loved my mission president, uh, president Eric Gardner, but Marion, his wife, uh, if, if I'm being honest, we kind of looked forward to her talks and in zone meetings, uh, as much or probably more. She's than, one of the best than his, but, uh, I remember her giving us a little poem. Um, and it, you know, it was, I'll be happy when, and it just, there was all these contingencies of I'll be happy when I've have this or when I've done this or when I, you know, and, and you no, know, be happy now. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to have these things to be happy. It's a choice. Choose to be happy. And, and, Trials will come, hard things will happen in your life, um, but choose to be happy. That's that's always a, a choice that we have. Not not always, I don't, you know, uh, life isn't all uh, cupcakes and rainbows in, in the words of cotton candy too, Princess though, Poppy. right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but choose choose to be happy. Yeah. Amen. So I, I got to say something to you guys personally, real quick, and then I want I want to just kind of like ask one more question, if that's okay. Um, First, I, I, CJ, I just got to say to you, you know, I, I, you play with your kids, catching frogs, catching lizards, you know, keep doing that. Keep being like, keep playing with your kids, man. Um, you I don't, love you don't, you don't hear, I don't do that enough with my kids. You know, there's so many times I come home from work and. I worry about the mess they're making rather than the fact that they're playing Legos and it would be so fun to just get on my knees and get dirty and play Legos with them even if I'm in a suit. What am I worrying about? The wrong things. And um, I, I just I just have to commend you on being that kind of dad that would go out and get muddy and play with the kids and and um, 
I'm sorry that such a difficult thing, tragic and, and hard thing happened during, during you trying to be an amazing father. Cause that's the kind of dude you are. And I know that I've seen you with uh, your kids and I've seen you with mine and um, I love you and think the world of you, man. So, um, Stephanie, I got to say to you, um, I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry that, um, that's so unfair, those comments. And I, Alicia and I would leave our kids with you in a heartbeat. You are an incredible mother. Um, every time Savannah would go play over at your house with, with Hannah, um, she would come back happy and you are incredible. You are an incredible mother. Incredible. And you too, I, again, I'm, I'm just going to kind of rehash this, but, um, we immediately felt love from you and we felt, um, we felt welcome and we felt like we had a place and that we, uh, could be ourselves around you and, and we were accepted and, and that you guys cared about who we were and our desires. And we just want to thank you for your friendship and, and you guys are incredible people. Um, I think that's why this, this story is hard for me to hear is because I, I hurt for you, but with what you're doing in your lives, I know, I know Dylan is going to be really excited to, to see you again. Right. So if you're okay with this, I, I know this is, this can be a heavy question. Um, and, and CJ, I'll start with you if that's okay, but I, I'm sure in your mind, you've thought several thousand times what you would say to Dylan when you see him again, what would you say to him? It's a tough one. <laughs> um, tell him how much I love him and how much he inspires me to be good, to do what's right. Tell him that we're keeping his memory alive, that we talk about him, that we love our other children uh, just as much as we love him and we want to we want to make sure that they remember him too. And <laughs> other things that I, I, I know, I know that he already knows that God loves him and that our Savior Jesus Christ loves him. And that I can't wait to give him a big hug again and, and to help my wife to to raise him when that when the time comes. Thanks. It's awesome. Stephanie, what about you? That's really hard because he was so young when he passed away that he wasn't really talking. <laughs> he uh he made lots of grunting noises and pointed <laughs> at stuff that he wanted and he was very mischievous. Um and so I don't really know that he totally understood everything I had to say to him when he was here, but I think um I think first I would tell him I'm sorry I got so mad at him for wiping his bloody nose on an <laughs> ottoman. I I had to get rid of that ottoman. I couldn't look at it anymore. It was a big, big source of shame and grief for me. So I'd tell him I'm sorry because he's a two-year-old. He didn't know any better. Um, but yeah, I would tell him I love him and that um, even though he didn't get any time with his youngest sister, Kate, uh, she knows him and she knows the stories about him and she reminds me of those stories oh, and, cool. and, uh, and that, um, yeah, that, that, that all his family loves him and we, and we share the stories like, you know, like he was still here and that, that we have, 
love them. We don't forget about them. I don't think there's more than a couple minutes in the day that I don't think about them in some capacity. Yeah. Awesome. Um, he's not, he's not going to want to hear, I'm sorry from you. Sorry. He's, <laughs> he's already looked past that. I'm sure he worry. has. Yeah. I have it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, yeah. I don't have as great of an understanding as yeah. he does right no. now. Thank you so much for joining me, you guys. And I just, I, again, I think the world of you, I love you. And I just like, I want you to know that like you've lost no value for anything, any of these struggles and these things that you read online and, and we can all do a better job. I think one of the, one of the most powerful lessons that, that, that we can take away from this is not only like, Hey, connect with God and prepare, live on purpose. But, but what you said, Stephanie, about compassion is so important, you know, unconditional love, just make space for people to come to the table and bring them in, pull them in. Let's not push people away. And there's no room for judgment. We, we don't need to be the judge. We don't know. Um, we don't know. We don't know anyone from the ground up, right? What circumstances they were born into, what, what environment they lived in growing up. So even in that moment that a choice is made, whatever it is, um, we have no idea why. And it's not fair for us to start pointing fingers and we just need to love and lift people up. Be that person that buys the paper plates and puts mm-hmm. them on your doorstep, right? Anyway, I love you too. And I am just grateful that you'd come and share this message with us. So thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy to be here. Good Thanks, to see guys. you. And if anybody wants to reach out to you, is that okay if they do? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I'll make sure I put your, your information yeah. on. I, I have to say too, we had yeah. we had people that reached out to us that, that we didn't know at all. And we appreciated that. I, I, I'd love to say we have stayed in close contact with them, but we had, we were so broken that we just, but we appreciated them coming. I mean, they came and said, Hey, welcome. Welcome to the club. The the worst the, club in the world. That's <laughs> what they told us. Yeah. The club you never want the, to be a part of. Uh, crappy club. So for all those crappy. bad comments you read, those people that showed up made a huge impact on you. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so if you know anybody going through something hard, I think that's a really good, um, thought there and reminder for us to like, Hey, step up and, and say something, show up for show those up. people. Even if we don't, we don't know them too well, just with yeah. compassion, show up for those people. Right. Yep. Awesome. Thanks you guys. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in to come towards delight the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.